What's your secret? Okay, so there was this time when I had a party at the house. There was quite a few people there. and uh, Your parents' house? At my parents' house. And the table broke because there were two girls dancing on it. <laughs> this is our dining room table. Your family's table. The family table. <laughs> so I proceeded the next morning to fix it to the best of my ability, which was pretty good, but the table then wobbled every <laughs> dinner ever since then. Your parents never asked what and happened? My parents always, my mom, almost every time at dinner would go, I wonder why this table wobbles so much. <laughs> it's pretty badass to fix it. How old were you? 15. Nice. But, uh, yeah, so she never knew. I'm Patty, and no one knows how I put myself through graduate school. Hey everyone, it's Ben. Every once in a while, I open the show with a content advisory. You can add today's show to that special library. I'm going to coin a name for that advisory right now. Let's call the show Earbud Safe. There's some pretty blatant sexual content ahead, so if it's okay for you, but not for others, put on those earbuds and let's go. You have been advised. Okay, so I am now a business owner. I'll just say that I'm well-respected for what I do. I'm pretty well-known in my community. This would be shocking and probably really hurtful to my professional life if I actually said what I did. Patty connected to my Washington, D.C. studio from Los Angeles. The five-year epic adventure she's about to unfold began when she was 28. She's in her 40s now, and even today, it's a story hardly anyone knows. Until now. Okay, you want me to say that now? Yeah, go for it. Okay. So I put myself through graduate school working as a dominatrix and an escort. (laughs) I learned much more than graduate school would ever teach me about people. (laughs) Welcome to The Secret Room, a podcast about the stories no one ever tells. I'm Ben Ham. Record. All right, we're recording. We are. Okay, great. Patty, welcome to The Secret Room. Thanks for having me on, Ben. How many people know your secret? Two people know. Well, now you. So you're number three. I think three people actually know what the full secret is. I normally tell people that I just worked as a dominatrix because, you know, my girlfriends kind of think that that's kind of cool and underground. And some of them have asked me if it went farther than that, and I've always denied it. So is it safe to say that, that nobody in your family knows? Oh, gosh, no. No, no, no. What, what do you think would happen if they found out? You know, I'm, I've always... I, I don't know. This was something I did a long time ago, and I'd own it. I mean, that's part of why I'm doing this today, because I've never told the story. It's about time. Right. My family, I probably wouldn't worry too much if they judged me for it. Yeah. But I I can understand why you're hesitant to put that out there. Could have some repercussions, particularly professionally. That's that's really the only thing that I'm worried about is that professionally it would harm me if people figured out what I did or knew. So rewinding back to college. Yeah. You know, did you need money to pay for college and to get by? How are you doing financially? I, I had a job. This is more like an intriguing thing that just kind of perked my curiosity. It was back in the days of AOL chat rooms. I didn't know anything about the internet, and the internet was kind of, it was early. But 
AOL chat rooms kind of let all the freaks fly, right? Mm -hmm. So they had rooms for everything. And there was a room that said Sugar Daddy. You know, and I saw men just like offering to like pay to support women. And I was like, well, okay. Like, you know, there was one guy in particular (laughs) that kind of pursued me a little bit. Like I was just so, so curious about it. So I met him at some diner. And he's much older. I think he's 27 years older than me. Hmm. I still actually talk to him all these years later. I met him and we talked and he said, okay, well, this is what I'm offering you. You want to come back to my place and we'll try it out. I said, okay. He wanted to touch me and I let him, you know, with his hands and, you know, it wasn't full on intercourse or anything. I think my anxiety was so high that I actually fell asleep after, you know, as people do after they have some some sexual activity. Uh I remember like waking up going, oh my God, okay, good. He didn't kill me. Like, this is okay. And I remember he told me that I look like a work of art (laughs) sleeping in his bed. And I thought, okay, so he's going to touch me, make me feel good. He's going to pay me. And then he's going to say nice things to me like, this can't be bad. So he paid me $600 and took out his Blackberry and said, can you come like Wednesday and Friday? And this was like Sunday. And and I said, sure. (laughs) I was doing that with him. You know, we'll say servicing him in certain ways. And then I thought, well, maybe there's other men out there. I went back into the rooms I would then have like one-off meetings with people. Like there wasn't any like real regulars in New York. So you didn't have anybody arranging your dates for you. (laughs) I was my own pimp. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It did get a little addicting over time. How did you select the people that you were going to take on as clients? Yeah. This is the part that I'm nervous about. So I had a job where I had access to databases where I could verify who people were. It worked out well. Yes. (laughs) In New York, I was able to kind of look up and see did they own property and all this stuff to kind of verify that they were who they were. When I went to L.A., I was flying free and I had more risky situations in in L.A., to be honest. I would always leave notes when I would leave my apartment and say I'm going to meet so-and-so in case I didn't come back. I mean, so I was really in this high-risk kind of behavior. Right. You had a roommate. No, no. I would just leave notes in my apartment. Oh, so who, you just left a note in case you didn't show up? In case I never made it home and somebody had to bust into my apartment and go, what happened to Patty? Okay, so you were, you were nervous. Yes. You know, to a degree. Yes. But you weren't nervous enough to stop the behavior. No. And I did have situations with men. I'd meet up with someone at, you know, some silly hotel somewhere. I don't know. I would just feel like... I need to get out of here really fast. I just didn't like what the person's energy felt like. And so how did you get out of situations? Was that ever dicey? You know, because, you you know, you're meeting a man somewhere private Uh and then you're going to tell him, no, you know, I'm I'm not going to be with you. Did you ever have anybody react negatively? I never didn't do what I went there to do. I would just get out faster. With some people, they want to chit-chat, they want to talk, they want to know you, and you know, they never really got me, but, <laughs> but I gave them a version, so I would linger a little bit with some people or make a next appointment with them. In LA, there were more high-risk behaviors and actually ones that were like one situation where I had to take a gun away from somebody. Okay, hold on. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so you walk into a room with a man, Uh At what point did you see that he had a gun? Did he brandish it at you? 
Well, that guy was someone who I had been hanging around with. He kind of wanted the girlfriend experience. He was this oddball of a person and he was a collector of things. So I never liked going to his house. It was just always uncomfortable because he would lock us into that into the property. He would lock you into the property. There's a big gate on his property and he would padlock us in as he drove up the driveway. So you could not escape if you wanted to. No. So there were times when I was first going up to his place that I would say, hey, hey baby, why don't we just go to Vegas for the weekend? And then I'd be in the car with him for four hours to Vegas. But it would get me out of that scary situation with him. Why do you think he did that? Because he was paranoid that people were going to steal his stuff. He literally has huge things and lots of art and all this stuff, and it was a paranoia. There was one day where he he took me around to all these museums and things, and we met some other collectors of things. It felt like he was saying goodbye to people. We had had a rough patch because I had asked him for the money that he was supposed to give me that week. He got mad and said that, he said, oh, you're just after me for the money. And I was like, well, that that is what we're doing here. It's kind of our arrangement. Yeah, and he didn't like that because he thought I was supposed to like fall in love with him or something. And I remember we got back to his place, locked in to that gate with the padlock. Mm-hmm. I go to the bathroom and I come out and he's sitting on the floor with a gun in his mouth. Oh my God. I walked in and I screamed. And then as I screamed, I'm like, oh my God, he's gonna blow his brains out because I startled him and screamed. <laughs> oh my God. And I didn't know anything about guns and it was a revolver and I figured out how to open it. I took it out and there was actually bullets in it. And I remember my hands were just shaking and I was like, oh my God, like what is happening here? Like, what am I doing? Why did he want to commit suicide? He just said there was nothing to live for anymore. And And was that tied to your sort of quasi rejection of him? There was that. And then there was something happened with one of his art deals. And I don't know, it was just very dramatic. Was that the last time you saw him? (sighs) Sadly, no. You went back. I was scared to not go back for a while. I thought, oh, I need to play nice because now I know that he has a gun and I know that he's crazy. I was scared and he knew where I lived. This time he was threatening me with the gun, not holding it to me. Mm -hmm, I could mm -hmm. hear him pacing back and forth and opening and clicking it and all this stuff. And he was mad at me for something. That must have been enormously frightening. It was terrifying. I can't imagine being in a room with somebody who's walking around opening and closing a gun and you know he's unstable and you've had this experience where you pulled a gun out of his mouth. Yes, and he's down the hall in another room and I'm in the bedroom and I could hear him and he was like mumbling stuff. And I just was like, oh my God, like I have to go. I have to get out of here. But you're locked in. My car was in his garage. So like I had to go through the whole motion of like the auto garage door opener and to tell him I was leaving. And I remember, you know, I'm in graduate school and I tried to just be like, okay, well, you know what? I just remembered I have like this huge test tomorrow. Like I gotta go, I gotta go. I need to study. I got to get out of here. Um, He knew I was scared and he knew it was because of him. But I was just like, like, I wasn't going to say that because I was afraid of what he was going to do. And so I said, I really, I really need to go. I have to study. He actually opened up the garage door for me and I left. That was the last time I physically saw him. But he sort of started 
yeah, he started stalking me in certain ways and sending black roses to me and stuff through a florist. Oh my God. Did you, did you take this to the police? No, because what was I going to do? I was a graduate student, and what am I going to say? I was selling myself, and one of my customers, you know, decided to be more crazy than just wanting to buy sex from me. So what, what did you do when he was sending you black roses? Well, I called the people who delivered them, in the st- and I traced it back, and I did say I was going to call the police. I said, well, I'm going to call the police on you and sue you for harassment and everything else if you ever take an order from this person again and send me anything. I didn't know what to do, but I wanted to make sure that none of his stuff ever came to my house again. For like probably six months, I was looking over my shoulder when I would go to my apartment. I I just was scared. I was dating other people. Professionally, you mean, or personally? Personally. So so you're living a double life. Yes. You're a escort on one side. Yeah. And then on the other side, you're going to grad school. Yeah. You're dating guys. Yeah. How did you keep them separate? Um... The one in New York was like a little arrangement and we just had fun with each other. And he kind of knew I had someone on the weekends because I would disappear. And I just didn't care what he was doing. So it was one of those kind of like, hey, see you on Monday and we'll go to the beach and we'll hang out and stuff. And uh, he was much older, didn't care. You know, he was just, I was fun. He was fun. And so that worked. And then in California, I did tell (laughs) one of the boyfriends. How did he react? I mean, I can't imagine. What did he say when you told him, hey, Johnny, or whatever, you know, guess what? I've got this incredible side job. Um... Yeah, did I? T- I did tell him everything. I was like, how much did I tell him? Because I'm still friends with him, too. I know him still. I grew up with that guy. And so he knew my whole life and everything. And so I see. Okay, He's a good friend. It was one of these things where I just felt like, eh, I'll tell him, you know, what's it going to do if he's going to judge me and tell me, you know, he doesn't like it. That'll be the end of that. Right. So what, what did he say? Well, I knew he was into all the bondage and all that stuff, you know, from the dominatrix side of things. So I knew he'd probably be okay with it. And he was. He wasn't crazy about it, but he didn't actually care that I was doing it. Was it difficult juggling, you know, your personal life and then keeping the escort side of of your life out of your personal life and, you know, keeping them from crossing paths? The personal dating and friendship side of things, no, because I could say whatever I wanted. I was always afraid Mm -hmm. that my professional life was going to conflict in my escorting life. I was just always afraid that, like, maybe some old professor would end up in a hotel room with me or something. Wow. Over this uh, four to five year period, how many clients do you think you had? Uh, Okay. Not a lot. I mean, it was really about 15, maybe. Well, maybe a little bit more if just the the one-time appointments. Right. And you said it was a little bit addicting. If I asked you what the allure was, would you have an answer for that? Well, my old therapist thought I had a, a death wish, but um, he said, he said, were you suicidal <laughs> right. very long? And I'm like, I've never been suicidal. Mm-hmm. It sounds very cliche, but I felt very empowered. I was a girl who never thought much of, I didn't think much of myself and somehow doing this and getting paid. But the allure, you know, it was, like I said, a little bit empowering. It was intriguing. The men were like, some of them were fascinating people. There's people that are well-known for what they do and the communities that they're in. And I'm just like, really? Like, and you're this much of a freak behind closed doors. It was, it was, it was intriguing in that way that I get to hold everybody's secrets. Interesting. 
And here you are in the secret room. <laughs> I know. And I'm like, well, you probably have a bit of that yourself because you like everybody's secrets too. <laughs> right. We've got a few, but you can hear all the secrets right here on this show. Yeah. Yeah. I got paid like 1500 bucks one time to meet a guy in LA and I put on like a pretty corset and some stuff. The guy did some lines of cocaine and he never even touched me and I walked away with 1500 bucks. Oh, I'm like, so I can get half naked and you want to sit around and look and talk? Okay. Easy money. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about the sex a little bit. Uh-huh. Did you like it? Some of it was fun. Some of it was tedious. Mm-hmm. I always felt like I was performing. Always. Mm, probably with two people over time, once I knew them, it was fun. And it would be like, well, what are we going to do today? You know, mm-hmm. but it always felt like I was performing. Did you ever develop feelings for any of your clients? Yep. That first guy, like I said, has been a friend and even like a confidant over the years. You're still friends. Yes. Yes. You know, I haven't seen him in many years because now he lives in even another state. I live in another state and it just, you know, and he's probably in his 70s now. But we still talk occasionally a couple of times a year, you know, and he's still doing the same old thing. He'll tell me about his new young graduate student and all that stuff. And he'll be like, do you want to meet her? No, I don't. I don't want anything to do with your little <laughs> your girls. But right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you said you were always performing, but were there ever any times when you just, you know, it was just something you had to force yourself to do. It was yes. repulsive or, yeah, just completely not where your head was at. Absolutely. <laughs> tell, tell me about that a little bit. There was a, a much older guy who would like to take his Viagra before he'd come see me. And he would think that he could barter with me for, like, gifts. And I'm like, no, no, no. We have an arrangement. So he would always have the money and he would pay me, but he would try to see if he could just like, you know, hand me a bottle of perfume and be done with it. And I'm like, you're crazy. Like that's not happening. To me, he was repulsive because I mean, when you're doing that and they've taken their enhancing pills and they haven't gotten laid in a long time, I would just lay there and go, oh, is it gonna be over yet? You know, (laughs) and it was pretty hideous. And so when when you were having experiences like that, Did you ever have second thoughts about this whole career you've chosen? I was introduced to sex through a violent act and it was just taken from me. I think there was something like retaliatory about my behavior as well. Were you raped? Yes, by a couple of guys and when I was like 17. And I was a very mousy girl and studious and mousy. And it was like the last thing I ever thought that that would happen. Mm my boundaries were down and you know and a little bit more open i didn't think that much about the sex act i am very much more about the connection with somebody sex is easy and um and it doesn't mean stuff when it can just get taken from you like that i I guess there was a part of me that felt like i was i don't know if i could get money out of these guys it wasn't raping me (laughs) or something you know i don't know it was some weird twisted kind of retaliation there was a sense of revenge in it yeah yeah. You're getting back at the male species. Like I'm not going to, I don't have to care about people and I can make them pay me for it if they just want to take it from me. <laughs> what was the, what was the craziest thing that you can remember happening with a client? Uh, okay. Okay. So, so <laughs> there was a guy and again, it was getting into like the BDSM stuff. He just like to wear the big leather mask and get himself all wrapped up and chained up with leather things around his penis. 
why it was so crazy to me is because I knew that he owned a business down the block from me and then he would meet me at the CD hotel. Like I, I, I knew who the guy was and he didn't know that I knew who he was. So when he then wanted to like deck himself out in the leather and have me say silly things to him, it always cracked me up. I had to get used to it. I would always be giggling in my head and going, no, I can't laugh. Like this is serious for him. <laughs> What, what silly things did he make you say? Oh, well, it gets into some of the humiliation things. I'd have to tell him, you know, how disgusting he was and how tiny his penis was. And some of that stuff is pretty standard, the humiliation stuff that men wanted. Telling them how ugly they were or how big their tits were or stuff like that. Oh, okay, the oddest thing was this guy. And this went on for a couple of years. I never did what he wanted that I'm going to tell you about, but it was... He was twisted. He was well known in New York City in his little field of what he does. <laughs> I remember that at one point his wife had another baby and he was all fascinated <laughs> with lactating and he kept trying to get me to take some kind of, apparently you can take a pill and it'll make you lactate. And <laughs> it's just like, that's not going to happen. But it always just, I'm like, and he just, he was the one that would want to use like anal beads and nipple clamps and started introducing me to some of the harsher, you know, aspects of sexual toys. I mean, I looked him up recently. I was just curious to see where his life took him. And he's still pretty well known for what he, what he does. And I and I wonder, I wonder if his wife is still with him. <laughs> because I, I'm sure I was not the only extra woman he was he was seeing. I remember meeting him in Philadelphia one time and because he wanted me to be in the arena where he was because it would get him off while he was performing. <laughs> Pretty funny. And the idea that I was there waiting for him to do whatever he wanted with me after got him off while he was on stage. Wow, that is really interesting. <laughs> Huh. Is this uh, is this somebody that, you know, if you said his name, we would know who it was? He's not he's not mainstream, but he is very he's a big fish in a tiny pond of the community that he performs in. Yeah, he was fun. I just thought he was such an oddball and really fun and kinky. And he was someone I enjoyed going to hang out with. Uh, so, Patty. Yeah. <laughs> at some point, you transitioned from full-time escort to part-time escort and part-time dominatrix, right? Yes, I did, Ben. <laughs> so, how did that happen? It was just what somebody had wanted at one time and introduced me to it. I'll tell you about that. It then became just something that I was like, oh, sure, if you're into that, I'm into it too. But for me, it was all performing. It wasn't that I was part of that lifestyle as people that are into it are. I was just performing. So this guy, he came over <laughs> with a suitcase, uh, or we met up somewhere, with like a little, you know, attache case of his whips and the nipple clamps and the, the beads and the... Mainly he liked the whips because he liked to get hurt. Oh, but he had a contraption that I had to look up last night before our interview so that I could tell you about it because it's pretty outrageous. Okay. <laughs> it's called the humbler. And I'm not even going to ask you, Ben, if you know what that is, because that would out you in some way to knowing about that. So I'll protect you <laughs> on right. that end. You're, you're going to want to look it up if you haven't seen it. But it's a contraption that, you know, like when people are doing like a movie scene and they have the little thing that they do before the take and they go, you know, boom, and they... And action. That thing, right. Slam it down. Yeah. So if you took the top of that and then the piece that folds down over it, you then take... A man's <laughs> he's the guy's balls. 
Okay. And you clamp it in between his penis and the balls. You put these, you clamp down these two pieces of wood, but you're pulling it. They're like in doggy style, and you're pulling it behind their thighs, and it, it's it's torturous. And it attaches and it braces their balls, and then for some, they like to just be in that contraption. For others, like my new pal there, he likes his balls to get whipped really hard while they were in that construction. Good lord. Wow. So that's pain. That's just straight up pain. It is. I hadn't thought about that in a long time. People like all sorts of little bit of sexual pain. Was, was that difficult for you to inflict, you know, that pain? It was hard for me to do it with intention of hurting him. I could do it on the playful end of things, but there were times where this guy in particular, once he started to know me and he trusted me and I started getting to know who he was and, you know, what he was into, then he would ask me and say, I really want you to leave marks on me today, things like that. And he'd say, I want you to leave marks on me. I want to go home and see this in a couple of days. Okay, so that piqued your curiosity. You've been introduced to a new world. So that guy introduced me to like the party scene of the BDSM. There was a party in LA, like near LAX in some airport hangar. It was a real introduction to what that world looks like because this was people who are in that lifestyle. It was this huge warehouse and there were different rooms set up. And I remember you could like walk by and just kind of browse into each room. And some people were having sex. Some people were playing with different toys. There was actually like, I remember like there was bloodletting, which is a thing. I try and stay away from anything to do with other people's blood. I wore my whole dominatrix, you know, get up. He got naked when we got there and he wanted to be walked around on a leash. And he wanted me to whip him publicly. Wow. So there was this room and it had a wall set up with like all these different kinds of whips that you could use, you know, and I think he got restrained to the wall, you know, with his back to me, I would just whip him. And it was a thing that like got then an audience from the people at the party. And so then it turned into like men like lining up (laughs) to get whipped. It was kind of this crazy experience. Yes. Wow. (laughs) So you had a line of men that wanted you to whip them. Yeah. And you delivered. I did. (laughs) Bravo. (sighs) Which side of this world did you like better? Did you like being a dominatrix better or being an escort better? Oh, the dominatrix stuff. You did? Oh, yeah. It was. Why? It was just fascinating to me. And again, it was all that secret stuff, too. I liked having this secret side that I really got to protect and, you know, it was fun for me in a really warped way. (laughs) Did you ever feel as a dominatrix that you were ever in danger? No. I don't know if it sounds crazy or not, but it was fun. The guys that were into it really just were like grateful that someone would play along with what they wanted. You know, and I was young and cute and looked good in my corset and they were happy to have me there. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Did you ever total up how much money you made over the course of your career? I wish I had done more with it. I don't know how much it was, but you figure, I mean, it's, uh, I didn't work through graduate school. <laughs> I was able to live in Southern California and support myself with it. Yeah. 
And so at some point, you decided to exit this lifestyle. Mm-hmm. What, what made you decide that it needed to end? Mm-hmm. You know, it sounds like you're having a pretty good time most of the time. You're in, meeting interesting people. You're making a, tons of money. Yeah. Why did you stop? I was doing it as a means to an end. And I got the first of my graduate degrees. And when I started then getting like legit jobs in my field and I was getting really good opportunities, I thought, you know, what am I going to do? Like, like I'm going to I'm going to end up in jail or I'm going to end up with the wrong person or I'm, or I've, you know, my number is going to come up that I'm going to meet the guy that's not going to be safe. I stopped doing it with all new people and I kept the guy that liked to get whipped in the humbler and everything. Right. You know, he had like a fun uh, vacation condo. I could go with my girlfriends. He wouldn't, you know, he didn't care. I'd always just go and use it and stuff. So I kept him around. There was a benefit package. Yeah, there was like extra little <laughs> perks and stuff. There was no reason to cut him off for a while. But then the year after my first degree, I then was like, yeah, I, I just not going to do this anymore. I need to move on. You quit while you were ahead. Yeah, right. Smart. Yeah. Oh, good for you. You made it all work. Yeah. Came full circle. Was it difficult for you? I'm not sure what the right word is, but, you know, from an emotional perspective or, you know, because you were on this roller coaster for five years. You know, you didn't stop cold turkey because you had that one guy around, but mm-hmm. you did stop the floodgates pretty much. Was it difficult dealing with that? No, because then I really kind of like built up the rest of my life. And I just started living a nice single girl lifestyle in my 30s, you know? Personally, I mean, like, sex was a frivolous thing to me. So it wasn't like I gave up having sex. If I wanted to have sex with somebody, I had sex with somebody. Right. Did it feel weird having sex and not getting paid? No. I really felt like it was compartmentalized. That was a job. It's like an actor who does sex scenes or kissing and it's not real. But the real aspect was the guys that I was into and like liked their personality and wanted to get to know them. And that, that was the true me. This other part was just playing dress up and, and taking on a role. Did you marry? Yes. Did your husband ever know your past? He did. And to be honest with you, it's part of why we're divorced is that it was a toxic experience. And there were times that he used it against me. And I thought, you know, it was all fine and good when you thought it was titillating to hear about. Did you tell him before you Mm -hmm. married? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm, Okay. He had fair warning. That's right. And the person that I'm with now, he knows that this interview is going on today. (laughs) And did you just tell him? Just recently, when we were talking about doing the podcast, or did he already know? No, I had told him about it, but then I told him that I'm doing the interview just yesterday. (laughs) You know, I'm at the point in life where I just, if I'm going to date somebody, they need to know who I am and where I've been, and just the same way with them. Like, it's not, if you're going to judge me, like, I got to get going then, because that's not going to work for me. How, How long had you been seeing him when you decided to come clean? I literally told him in a couple of weeks. Did you have to pick his jaw up off the floor or was he like, oh, okay. He was intrigued. Apparently he's kind of into some of the kinky stuff. So it was fun to uh, tell him and to find that out about him. It was like, oh, he's like, well, I don't mind that at all. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good. Okay. So opened up a new part of your relationship. Yeah. (laughs) Do you feel you learned anything from this experience? Yeah. I learned a lot about, you know, my attitudes about sex 
and about boundaries and about why would I be ashamed of this? That's part of why I'm doing the interview with you is like part of me needs to let it out and have it publicly flying around at least the internet where I know I've told my story publicly. It feels validating for some reason. About men, (laughs) I guess... Are we all just a bunch of cretins? Is that what you learned? We're all just disgusting. (laughs) Nothing will ever shock me, I'll tell you that. (laughs) People want connection. For the most part, these guys that turned into regular customers of mine were men that wanted connection and wanted someone who wasn't going to judge them for what they liked sexually. They wanted someone who would play along with them, and that made them feel connected. I do say that they are as much wanting connection on whatever level it is, the same way women do. Women want it want it more emotionally. That's why I was able to compartmentalize, plus some of my trauma and my history allows me to compartmentalize some of that behavior. You know, they were looking for connection and for someone who was, wasn't going to judge them. So being a escort and a dominatrix did not completely shatter your view of <laughs> men who we are. No. <laughs> no, I still love men very much. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm glad because I, I, I could see that it could, but um, I'm glad that your experience was uh, on the whole a positive one. Yeah. Sounds that way to me. You know, and there's always a bad apple or two in a bunch. And that's always my attitude about people in general. You can say that about anything. Exactly. Nothing's perfect. Yeah. So no, men are still good in my book. <laughs> All right. Good. Glad to hear that. Patty, thank you so much for joining me in the secret room. Thanks so much, Ben, for having me on. It was really, I'm grateful to be able to have a platform to tell the story secretly. And with that, Patty has cast her secret into the podverse for all to hear. It's an indelible part of her past that informs her present. The irony is that almost no one close to her knows it. Patty sent me a picture of a couple of her favorite corsets that she wore in the day. There's a black one and a pink one. She said she always got more compliments and made more money in the pink one. You like that one too? See them now at facebook.com slash secretroompod. They're waiting for you. Next time on The Secret Room. Hi, I'm Aisha, and I underwent FGM when I was a teenager. FGM, of course, is... Female genital mutilation. And according to the World Health Organization, there are more than 200 million girls and women alive today who have undergone this barbaric procedure, which yields them no health benefits. You know, the woman that does it... This cranky, old, fucking bitter, nasty bitch, you know, with with nasty tools, you know, rolling into the house like a horrific (laughs) African Baba Yaga. (laughs) Join me next time for Aisha's important story. I'd like to talk about how it's impacted my life. I have a late-breaking Patty update. She just sent me two photos she found of herself back in the day, so I'm adding those to our Facebook post for this episode. Check them out. And while you're there, why not like the page, share it with your pals, and interact with us. Facebook.com slash SecretRoomPod. And did you hear that special birthday theme our music composer Breakmaster Cylinder played at the top of the show? The Secret Room is marking the start of its third year, and we couldn't have asked for a better present than to be listed as, dare I say it, 
one of BuzzFeed's tip-top underrated podcasts to listen to in 2018. Holy cow, did a lot of you see that and start binging? So I want to say thanks to BuzzFeed, and I want to send a big welcome to all our new subscribers. It's great to have you in our little family. And while you're here, if you want to lurk and just listen, that's great. And if you want to be on the show, that's great too. Share your secret at secretroompodcast.com. Find us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, and all your favorite podcast apps. On Twitter, we're at secretroompod. Catchy, right? Maybe. I don't know. Thanks, as always, to the Street Secret team and to Susie Lark for her production work on the show. Thanks a lot for downloading. I'm Ben Ham, and this is The Secret Room. Pod on. Pod on. Yeah. Oh, the humbler. Yeah, I'll send you a picture. You got to see that. That is some crazy shit. (laughs) Oh, and just one more great announcement while I have you. The Secret Room t-shirts are back on Amazon Prime with free returns. Check them out in men's and women's styles in five great colors. Just search for The Secret Room Podcast on Amazon. Thanks.